Good evening and welcome to Monsters Among Us. I am your guide, Derek Hayes. Hi there, everyone. And thank you so much for stopping by. Tonight's episode is a doozy. And if you're stopping by for the first time, welcome. And if you're fixing to get yourself unnerved, we've certainly come to the right place. Now each week we share a collection of true paranormal stories. Stories submitted directly from listeners like you. Stories collected from mostly the United States, but all throughout the globe. Stories like Dave's in Tennessee. Hey Derek, this is Dave from Tennessee and I called back earlier this year, I think it was a trucker's episode. I was in the warehouse on the toilet when the door opened. Anyway, I had another encounter a few episodes back. I think it was season three, episode 20. You had a guest host on your show, and y'all were talking about going through crossroads with a dead cat or something like that and removing warts. So that kind of triggered a memory of mine that I had back in, uh, I guess it was 1970, maybe, been 50 years ago. Uh, I was maybe eight or nine at the time. I'm 57 now, so I guess I was seven. I had a wart on my thumb that bothered me a lot, and my daddy took me to a, uh, a guy that he knew that lived not too far away, and uh, dad had said something about the man was he was redheaded and he was like the seventh grandson or something. He had the power to remove warts. And I thought to myself, well, that's neat. So I remember one Saturday morning, he took me to this guy's house, knocked on his door and he came to the door and he was probably in his mid thirties and I was seven. And my dad, he, you know, shook the guy's hand and they spoke for just a moment. And then the, the red-headed gentleman looked down at me and he says, I hear you have a wart. And he says, let me see it. So I put my hand up and he took his thumb and rubbed on the wart. And then he said, okay, it'll be gone soon. And I just remembered we left, went home. And the very next morning when I woke up, of course, I didn't immediately look at the wart. It was later on that morning. I just remember looking down and it was gone. And I'm like, well, that was cool. And being a seven-year-old, I didn't think much about it and just went on about my day. And But I just, it, it's still in my mind, just like it happened yesterday. And I, I was really amazed by it. I don't know, I've never heard of a, a red-headed person having that kind of power before but uh, or since. But uh, I just thought it was neat and I've been listening, re-listening to your episodes, and I just remember hearing that uh, season three, episode 20, about the uh, crossroads and doing things with a dead cat, and after you run through or walk through the crossroads with a dead cat, rub the dead cat on the wart, and and different things that y'all were talking about, it just triggered that memory, and uh, just thought I'd call and, and submit that everyone i just thought it was kind of i know it's not a monster but it, i just thought it was a a weird thing love your show bye thanks dave what an interesting story now as many longtime listeners might know i myself grew up in appalachia in the foothills of southeast ohio to be exact and having done so, I heard my fair share of superstitions, curses, and remedies. But what Dave is talking about is next level. Healing a wart without medication in a single day. Well, that's practically magic. And let's start with the wart. This probably could be filed under too much information, but I myself am currently suffering from a wart on my left thumb. 
It's been there since summer. And I have a doctor's appointment booked to get the sucker removed. It's quite annoying. I've tried everything, but nothing sold over the counter seems to be able to deal with it. But the point being that I recently read up on them. And they're actually caused by, well, at least the planters, the ones on your feet, and the palmers, the ones on your hands, by a virus. And although difficult to remove, it will eventually go away after a few years with the help of your good old immune system. But Dave's disappeared after one day. That's nothing short of witchcraft or some otherworldly ability. And in places like Appalachia, where Dave is also from, this sort of witchcraft or healing isn't only accepted, but it's well known. I was actually able to find another example very similar to that of Dave's. So check this out. I had warts taken off of my uh, fingers. I was going to cosmetology school and they advised me to get the warts removed. I mentioned to a man that had a store there that I was going to have that done and he said, well, sell them to me. I said, okay. And he gave me a penny and he stood there and rubbed my fingers, just talking. Didn't say anything to me, but told me not to look at them. He said, just forget about them. Two weeks later, I happened to think about them, and they were gone. Had you tried other medicines to get rid of them? Oh, compound W that you put on them, all that kind of stuff. And they it didn't would, work? No, it did not work. Nothing that you could buy at the store worked. What he done, I do not know what he said or done, other than rub my fingers. And having heard from a couple different people now that were on the receiving end of this mysterious ability... I thought this was a great opportunity to share a story from the healer's perspective. Well, now, didn't you tell me? I know you did mine. You like taking the warts and stuff off. You have to, you have to touch them. Yeah, I have to rub them like they, the woman that, that church. Uh, she had a, she called it a wart, but I don't know if it was a wart or not. But it was. A, Big red thing like that right there, and it kind of looked like a wart, but it was on her leg right here. There it was. And so she she asked me would I take it off, and I said yeah I'll take it off. There it was if I can. And so they had a church. She said just hang around there at the church, and there was still a big crowd right there. So I told her I said let me see that wart there. It was. I said, I'm going to have to rub your leg now. But I said, don't fight nothing about it. There you go. And so she, she had her dress on. She just pulled it up. And that thing was sticking up there like that right there. And it was just as blood red as it could be. And I rubbed that blind thing. And uh, I didn't never get to see her no more. And her old man come to church up there. And uh, I asked him, I said, did that... Ward ever come off his wife's leg? And he, he said, yeah. I said, you couldn't even ever tell it was there. <laughs> and it, it was an awful looking thing. I yeah. mean, it was an awful looking thing. Now, both of those clips were pulled from the documentary Conjuring, the Healers of the Appalachians. And I can't tell you if any of this is real. I can't tell you that, yes, Dave was healed, or no, it was a false memory, or more time it simply elapsed before he remembered. But I can tell you that a large number of folk along that mountain range believe in and respect that power. And in my research, there were certainly some reoccurring themes. Warts, for one. Sickness, wealth. And oddly enough, as represented by this clip from the fascinating documentary, Signs, cures, and witchery. The act of stealing milk. And her name was Uni Connard. At that time, she was about a hundred years old. But she lived to be a hundred and fourteen before she died. I remember of seeing that old lady just very dimly. And the picture I have of her sitting on a little old porch on the side of their house. 
with a bonnet on her head and her eyes closed just sitting there. And she was supposed to be a witch. She had two grandsons and they always went to visit the Gross boys. The grandsons' names was Everett and Earl and the Gross boys' names were Brooks and Arch. But the Gross boys would never go back because they had heard about Aunt Junie's witchcraft but this night they did. They went home with the boys to stay all night. And um, they were all sitting around the fire talking. Aunt Junie's sitting there in front of the fire in her rocking chair. Ethel came in, the granddaughter Ethel, and she said, Granny, we don't have no milk for supper. And she said, mm-hmm. So directly she come back and she said, Granny, we need that milk now. Mm-hmm, she said. She gets up and walks out, and as she goes by the stove, she takes a dish rag from the top of the stove, throws it over her shoulder. There was a hand axe sitting by the door, one bit of axe, and she picked that up, and she t also gets a bucket that holds about ten quarts. And she goes out around the log cabin to the dark side on the back side, and she puts that dish cloth across the end of the log, and with a good, hefty swing, she puts that axe into that dishcloth. And after that, she twisted the dishcloth and set the bucket down under it, squatted down, put her knees down on the ground so she was comfortable, and sit there, and Arch Crows was watching her. He had followed her. And he said she milked the ten-quart bucket of milk out of the log and picked it up and went in the house. And he said, we're going up the hill. Brooks caught up with me, and I told him what I saw. And Brooks said, I saw all that went on in the house, and I saw just what you saw in there. You just got to see her milk the dish rag more than I got to see. But, boy, I'm glad we didn't stay for supper. Yeah, I don't know. Something about that story really creeped me out. But I've always said it doesn't take much to fall under the spell of log milk. Thanks again, Dave for calling in. Now, if you have an entry you would like to hear played on the show, simply call the hotline at 1-888-608-NIGHT. That's 1-888-608-6444. So speaking of where I grew up, let's venture back to the Buckeye State, where Mercedes has a story queued up for us. Hi, Derek. This is Mercedes. I live in Northwest Ohio. I just got done listening to season 10, episode 18, and there was a story regarding an unknown light. Well, I have a story that's kind of similar to that, and I would like to share it. Well, it, this takes place in Fort Wayne, Indiana, back in 2019. I don't know the exact date, but it was when my dad was hospitalized for mild strokes, muscular issues, and other health problems that I won't get into. But long story short, he coded twice, but was brought back both times. Now, me and my mom stayed at the hospital just to make sure he was okay and not alone. Now, we stayed there the whole time. We stayed there for a period of three months. What me and my mom did was she would sleep during the night and I would sleep during the day. Now, I'm okay with this because I'm actually a night owl, so it sounded kind of nice to me. <laughs> well, one night I was sitting there in the recliner beside my dad's bed, crocheting and listening to a podcast, and I usually turn off all the lights and just leave one for my dad in case he wakes up and needs me. It was a dim light along the back of the wall behind the hospital bed. Both my mom and my dad were fast asleep, and like any other night, I was wide awake and complete bliss. <laughs> and for some reason, I decided to look to my right onto the floor, and a long-shaped light appeared out of nowhere. It was coming at like an angle from above me, like to my left. And so I took my gaze away from it and looked up to the direction I thought it was coming from. But there was actually nothing there. I looked back and it was still there. I took my headphones out and started to get really confused by this because, <laughs> what? <laughs> well, it was a long sort of beam of a light shining from somewhere. 
it was yellowish and wasn't very big. I decided to move my hand over it to see if I could find a source. Like, you know how you move your hand over a beam of light to cast a shadow to see where it's coming from? Well, I was probably about like three feet away from it or so. I waved my hand again over it a few more times and nothing. It wasn't casting a shadow at all. I began to get a little nervous by this because <laughs> it was kind of creepy. I darted my eyes around the room trying to make sense of it. I looked to the only window in the room, but the shades were drawn and it was impossible because the angle that the light was like looking like it was coming from, it was behind it, if that makes sense. Well, it's lasted there for about a few more minutes and like I, I just started waving my hand over it again just to see if it cast a shadow, but nothing. It felt like someone was messing with me. I, and there was nobody in the room, but me and my parents, and they were just sleeping. I looked at it again, and then all of a sudden it zigzagged a few inches and disappeared. I was awestruck, because, like, what just happened? I couldn't make sense of it, and to this day, I have no explanation whatsoever of what it could have been. Well, I decided not to wake my parents, and ended up telling my mom, like, a few days later, and she was kind of freaked out, but she had her theories, like, it being an angel, to, like, I was just tired and seeing things. But, to be honest, I know what I saw, and I, I was so stumped by it. I still am. Anyways, well, thank you for all that you've done with the podcast. It's gotten me through some really rough times these past couple of years. Oh, and by the way, in case you're wondering, my dad is doing much better now and is slowly getting his strength back. He actually told me that the both times when he coded, he actually like saw this bright light and was trying to go to it, but something was holding him back and wouldn't let him go. Now, he's always told me that he doesn't believe in like the supernatural or paranormal, but when I told him about that light I saw, I could see a shift in his face expression. <laughs> but thanks for letting me share. Thanks, Mercedes, for the entry. Now, it's certainly no surprise to me that you've experienced something strange inside a hospital. Of my list of often haunted locations, prisons, schools, churches, theaters, etc., hospitals near the top, there's simply too much energy exchanged. People being born, people dying, tragedy... Heartbreak. Joy. There's just too much of all of that for something not to have lingered on. And my thoughts here, Mercedes, are this. As weird and unsettling as your experience was, given the setting, I imagine that experience could have gone a lot, lot worse. Thanks again for calling in. And it's great to hear that old Pops is feeling better. Now I have a lot of stories to get through this evening, so let's combine a few of these announcements. Support the show any way you can. Our shop is stocked up and ready to rock for the holidays. Give the gift of Monsters Among Us this holiday season by visiting monstersamonguscom forward slash shop. And if rad t-shirts, hats, buttons, patches, pins aren't your thing, then consider supporting us on Patreon. $1 a month gets you ad-free episodes, and $4 a month gets you pretty much everything else. Now that's patreon.com forward slash Monsters Among Us podcast. Now then, let's get back to tonight's programming. Wait, what's that up in the sky? Mike, why don't you tell them all about it? Hey, Monsters Among Us. This is Mike from the Hudson Valley. I called last year, maybe the year before that, about what looked like a satellite or UFO that stopped in the middle of the sky and then just kept going. Well, so this happened a couple days ago, and I need to get it out. So I'm driving down south on I-287 from New Jersey. Uh, it was about 9.30 in the morning, and I noticed in the sky a rectangular white shape that is just sitting in the sky. It's not moving the same way an airplane would look. I looked up at it multiple times while driving. Uh, probably not the safest thing to do, but it just sat there. It didn't move. It didn't go anywhere. 
Uh, it did not look anything like an airplane. There were no flashing lights. It didn't look like a helicopter in any way. It was absolutely 100% something rectangularly shaped. I was traveling probably about 70 miles an hour and trying to keep with it as best as I could. It ending very slow moving, very, very slow moving. Uh, as I passed by it, it was slowly hovering over towards some trees. But again, nothing that moved at the same speed that an airplane would move at, nothing with any type of um, flashing lights on it. Uh, if anyone was around the same area or has seen anything like that in the same area, uh, definitely call in. I'd love to hear about it. Um, thanks for everything you do, and keep up the great work. Thanks, Mike, for calling in. You're certainly not alone out there. We've heard plenty of reports of strange, rectangle-shaped craft being seen all throughout the country. We covered a video on Paranormal caught on camera a while back that fit this description. A large gray triangle floating over the deserts outside Phoenix, Arizona. Although I suspect that might have been a banner pulled by a plane headed for the nearby football stadium. But then we have an entry I shared on this very program just a few years back, where a gentleman, if not in New York, somewhere in New England, saw and photographed a bright orange rectangle in the skies above his home. I wasn't able to find either of those two images, but if there's a keen-eared listener out there, send me the info and I'll be sure to post it on the show notes. But of course, those aren't the only accounts to run parallel to Mike's experience. Dozens of experiences over the years have depicted a strange, rectangular craft. And this phenomena has seemed to have gone global. Because this past May, a similar object was reported by not one, but three separate parties along a highway in New Zealand. And that one you can find in the show notes. Now that's weird, wacky stuff. So thanks again, Mike, for sharing the entry. Mr. Pop. Tonight's episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Most of you know by now that I've personally struggled with depression, trauma, and grief. I suffered in silence for a long time, but I can tell you now that speaking to a professional not only helped, but it gave me the tools I need to move forward and prioritize my mental health. Now, BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with a licensed professional therapist who is right for you. You can connect in a safe, convenient, and private online environment from the comfort of your own home. And you can start communicating in under 48 hours upon signing up. Now, not only can you send messages to your counselor at any time, but you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions. Now, we all know traditional therapy can be expensive. So thankfully, BetterHelp is more affordable and financial aid is also available. Now, BetterHelp's counselors specialize in depression, stress, anxiety, relationships, and much more. And you can rest assured that anything you share is completely confidential. Now join over 1 million people who have already taken charge of their mental health by visiting betterhelp.com slash monsters among us. As an MAU listener, you get 10% off of your first month by visiting betterhelp.com forward slash monsters among us. That's betterhelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash monsters among us. And as always, supporting our sponsors supports the show. So thank you for listening. Now back to the spooky stuff. Now, for tonight's next entry, we revisit a topic we covered a few weeks in a row not too long ago. So please welcome Joe from Utah to the program. Now, real quick, before I play this one, just a trigger warning. There is a slight mention of sexual assault in the following call. Good day, Derek. Sorry, um, couldn't resist. My name is Joe, and I'm calling from Utah. Uh, I'm 54 years old now, and this happened when I was about six, so it was a while ago. Our 
family has an ability to pick up on other people's emotions or intentions. You know, sometimes we're referred to as empaths. Anyway, uh, just a little preliminary information. My mother and father got divorced when I was about six, and she moved into a duplex in a town in uh, northern Utah. And it was our first Christmas party. Uh, my sister is about four or five years older than me, and our jobs for our Christmas party were to greet people at the door, take their coats, put them on my mom's bed, and tell people where the party was. Keep in mind, this is just a three-bedroom duplex. It sounds big by the description, but it wasn't. Anyway, the party's going, and we get a knock at the door, and my sister and I open the door. We take one look at this guy and slam the door and run upstairs screaming to our mom that there is a bad guy at the door. And this is the first time this has ever happened to me or my sister. And my dad is there. They were on good terms and he wanted to come to the Christmas party. So my dad comes down and opens the door and says, sorry, you know, my kids are goofy, come on in. And the rest of the night, I would not get near this guy, neither would my sister. And my mom thought it was quite odd. The gentleman that we slammed the door on was a friend of my mom's. Uh, she was dating him fairly recently. But it turns out within three or four weeks from the Christmas party, this guy had actually raped the friend of my mom's who he was dating. Her ex-husband was the prosecuting attorney for the county that we lived in. And needless to say, this was not a good choice on this guy's part. He ended up going to jail. I think he got two or three life sentences. But here's the spooky thing. When they went in and served a search warrant on his house, there was a list of people, kind of a, a list of people that he was going to attack or rape. And right after the lady's name, who was my mom's friend, was my mom's name. And I just, I don't know, pretty interesting. Love this show. Keep it up. First time caller, long time listener. Like a lot of your uh, listeners, I binge. So anyway, keep it up and uh, appreciate your time. Thanks, Joe. Yet another jokester. Well, that story is frightening for a number of reasons. And I suppose it's slightly different from our other stranger at the door calls. And that this stranger was actually identified. Ironically, that might be the creepiest part of all of this. And I certainly can't say that Joe and his sister have some sort of sixth sense, or as he suggested, that he's an empath. But I do know that pets and children are excellent judges of character. If I see a baby or a dog giving a person a hard time, I always give that person a wide berth. And it sounds like Joe is helping to support that superstition. And thanks again, Joe, for submitting that entry. I'm awfully curious what it is about that man that made the both of you recoil in fear. Well now, what do you say we explore something ghostly? Christy from Minnesota, what have you got for us this evening? Hi, my name is Christy. I'm calling from Minnesota. Long-time listener at this point, first-time caller, and I just became a Patreon person, so yay! Anyway, I am calling because, believe it or not, I'm probably one of your older listeners, and kind of a lot of stuff has happened in my life. Uh, the first thing that I remember is when I was probably six or seven years old, my cousins, um, we grew up in St. Paul, Minnesota, and my cousins moved to a much nicer part of town. We, we lived in kind of the poor rent, the low rent district down by the river and they moved out to the suburbs and it was a brand new house and I remember being so excited about it and going to see them and my one girl cousin saying stay the night so 
I got to stay the night at their house. And I remember waking up in the middle of the night and my cousin sleeping next to me. She had a full-size bed, which was like huge when you're a little girl, you know. And I could see something across the room and I was remembering what her room looked like because we had played in it. And her dresser was across the room and I could see something fuzzy and white on her dresser. And I couldn't figure out what on earth would be on her dresser that would be almost to the ceiling fuzzy and white. So I woke my cousin up and asked her, what is that on the dresser? Because it was really bothering me. I mean, it was like creeping me out, bothering me. And she didn't really wake up. She just sort of rolled over and might have opened an eye. I don't know. It was really dark in the room. And she said, oh, that's just the ghost. Go back to sleep. Um, I did not really remember going back to sleep that night. And if I did, I know I didn't sleep well. As it turns out, things started happening almost immediately when they moved into this house. Their dogs wouldn't go into certain rooms at certain times. They'd stand in the doorways, interior doorways, and growl into rooms. And then they'd be just fine and they'd go wherever in the house. And my aunt, I remember, reported that her and her husband's, my aunt and uncle's wedding picture would get flipped over. And just odd things would happen for a long time. And over the years, these escalated and it got to the point where my aunt said that a mirror was broken in her bathroom. And that was kind of the end of it for her. On the other side of my family, one of my uncles was a priest, and my my mom and my aunt connected with him. He lived down in Venezuela at the time, but they connected with him through a call or whatever it was that they connected with him through. I was a little girl at the time, and we were instructed to do a novena, which was, it's a Catholic thing, where you pray for nine weeks in a row to clear the house. And then if that didn't work, he was going to get us in contact with the bishop and all of that stuff. So anyway, they did a novena, and this cleared up and went away. Now, I did not know at the time when I was little what the whole story was, but I remember my mom talking about it when I was older, And she said that the gentleman who had built that brand new house, built it for his family, had a heart attack at the house, died, and his family basically lost everything. And they never got to move into the house. So the working theory was that the entity that was in that house was the man who had built it And he was angry because a family with five kids moved in, but it wasn't his family. Anyway, that is the first thing I remember. Thanks. Bye. Thank you, Christy. Thank you for joining Patreon as well. That means a lot to the entire team. And what a great little ghost story. It's spooky. It's sad. It's tragic. It has all the ingredients for an excellent tale. And how unfortunate for the man that died building the house. Sometimes life just isn't fair. Now, as for the entity that Christy saw on her sleepover. Just the other night, I awoke on the hour as I typically do. And usually when I wake up, I glance down on my feet to make sure I don't kick, bury, or launch Annabelle off the bed in my adjustment. And when I did so, this other night, I could clearly see a black figure standing at the foot of my bed. Now it's important to note that Sarah was out of town this night. It was just me and her two cats. Well, I sat up and I strained and squinted, and the more I did, the more it looked like somebody was standing there eight feet away 
Well, finally, I got fed up and just grabbed my flashlight and lit it up. And that's the moment I realized. It was my Monsters Among Us hoodie draped over the rocking chair my mom passed down to me. Draped over just perfectly to produce an image that resembled a human being. An image that had the potential to terrify. Now, not to say that that's what I think Christy experienced. Clearly, if the cousin's first go-to was ghost, then something strange had already been occurring in that home. But I couldn't help but share that comical anecdote. Thanks again, Christy, for sharing your call. Tonight's episode is brought to you by Simply Safe. If you've ever wanted to make your home feel safer, there's no better time than now. This week, our friends at Simply Safe are giving Monsters Among Us listeners 40% off their award-winning home security systems. We love Simply Safe because it has everything you need to make your home safe, indoor and outdoor. Cameras, comprehensive sensors, all monitored around the clock by trained professionals who send help the instant that you need it. Now, Simply Safe was even named Best Home Security System of 2021 by U.S. News and World Report. You can easily customize a system for your home online in minutes and even get free custom recommendations from Simply Safe. These are Simply Safe's biggest discounts of the year. You can get a complete home security system starting at just over $100. There are no long term contracts or commitments. And it's a really easy way to achieve a bit of peace of mind. Plus, you may even capture something strange and unusual on your brand new security system. And if you do, you know where to send it. So take advantage of Simply Safe's holiday sale and get 40% off your new security system by visiting simplysafe.com forward slash monsters among us. Again, that's Simply Safe, S I M P L I S-A-F-E dot com slash Monsters Among Us for 40% off your entire system. Now this offer will disappear faster than Sasquatch over the ridge. So don't delay. And as always, supporting our sponsors supports the show. So thank you for listening. And back to the spooky stuff. Nope. Now this next submitter was actually convinced by his mother to call in. And boy are we glad that she did. Please welcome Dakota from Oklahoma to the program. Hi, my name's Dakota. I live on a farm in Garden County, Oklahoma. I'm nine years old, and this is an incident I refer to as a screecher incident. I was riding my ranger, and one night I just drove past this creek. I cut down a whittle, and I started whittling on it. And then all of a sudden, I heard a giant stomp in the creek. Then I heard a blood-curdling scream. I had no idea what it was. It didn't sound like a coyote. My dad thinks it's a hawk, but the splash was too big to be a hawk. I have no idea what it was. I was wondering if you or any of your viewers know what will have any information on that incident. Thank you. Bye, Derek. Thanks for calling in, Dakota. Now, not having been there during the experience, I cannot tell Dakota what he heard. Honestly, it could have been any number of things. But the fact that this encounter took place in the state of Oklahoma might add one more suspect to the long list. Now, on a bit of a side note here, back in May, a representative of the state of Oklahoma introduced a bill proposing a hunting season on the legendary creature known as Bigfoot. Here is the genius behind the stunt, J.J. Humphrey, discussing his bill on the floor of the Oklahoma Senate earlier this year. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Members, I am excited today. I'm really pumped. As many of you know, uh, I uh, filed, and what, what's funny, I actually filed a shell bill. I didn't even file it as a real bill to start a season on Bigfoot, and who knew that that would go international and that we would gain so much attention. I did plan on trying to get a little attention for a festival in Honubi, Oklahoma, which is where everyone knows 
where Bigfoot lives. I got a couple of guys who say that he lives out in the West. He does not. He lives at Honubby, Oklahoma. So um, here's, here's my part. No, I don't think he's attracting the kind of attention that he thinks he is. That soundbite was provided by KOCO, ABC News 5. Now, the bill is tongue-in-cheek, at least I think. And that's Oklahoma House Bill 1648, if you want to go take a look. But if you want my opinion, stunts like this only make it harder for those of us that are trying to take the search for some of this phenomena seriously. Uh, But I digress. Now, despite the antics here, Dakota, Oklahoma is a well-known Bigfoot hotspot. I know of a few active research areas in the state, and stories from the region have been featured on countless television programs. And the town that the senator mentioned in his clip, Anobia, is well known for a series of attacks from these creatures on a house in the outskirts of town. So who knows? Keep your wits keen, and next time you're out there, Dakota, you might just see him. And a huge thanks to Dakota and his mom for sharing that entry. Now, folks, two really quick updates. The first, next week I will be dark for my mid-season break. And boy, do I need it. I gotta get caught up on some of these calls. I got some back-end stuff I gotta take care of, so it couldn't have happened at a better time. But I'm not gonna leave you hanging. We're gonna be releasing a random Monsters Among Us Beyond episode from over at Patreon. So be sure to tune in next week for that bonus entry. And the second update, the hoodies. They just arrived, and they'll be shipping out in the next day or so. So a huge thank you to everyone for all your patience. And now, for that finalish entry of the evening. And you know how some of these calls have a tendency to stick with you. Well, good luck cleansing your mind of this one. Please join me in welcoming Dano from North Carolina to the program. Hey, Derek. This is Dano from North Carolina. I just finished listening to the uh, Season 10, Episode 20 show and um, Morgan's story about the baby graves and particularly about the baby handprints on the windshield of her car uh, brought back a memory for me that I figured I would share with you. So this goes back to about 1997, 1998. I was in college at the time. And uh, during that time, I was making my walking around money playing in bar bands. We had at the time recruited a drummer who was a little bit older and more professional than us, but was between gigs. And he lived in Greensboro. And we happened to have a show in Greensboro one night. We only played with him for a couple months. So that's why I didn't get to further investigate this incident. But after the show, he invited the rest of the band back to the house that he was sharing with some of his roommates just to chill out for a little while. And one of his roommates was in the basement area of the house when we got there. And they were in a split level ranch. So the basement area was sort of the recreation room. And it went out open to the backyard through a large pair of glass sliding patio doors. And as we're hanging out his roommate made a remark that i don't recall but seemed to intimate that he had had yet another paranormal experience in the house and i love a good ghost story and my ears pricked up and i immediately asked do you guys have a ghost and he and the drummer we'll just call the drummer d i kind of glanced at each other for a second and looked back at me and said well yeah actually we do and i said oh that's awesome tell me your stories and so they both proceeded to recount different times where not long after they had moved in to the rental house one or both of them would be downstairs and out the window they would see a little girl seven eight nine years old uh standing by a drainage culvert that ran through the back edge of their backyard there would be no parents supervision with her and of course they would be concerned that this child was playing near a culvert and so they would immediately go out to say hey little girl where's your parents but as soon as they went from the window to open the sliding glass doors there wouldn't be anyone there and this, their backyard was a cleared space. There was nowhere for this child to run or hide in the two seconds of time it took them to step from the window, uh, which is near a chair where they would often sit and hang out, to opening the patio doors to go outside and see her. Uh, all the roommates reported this and uh, all shared various experiences. I was pretty excited by this because I was like, hey, you've got a ghost. That's neat. 
And then I said, uh, what, what other stuff happens? Does anything else happen? And you just see this girl outside. And uh, Dee, the drummer, is, happens to be standing in front of the drapes that are covering these sliding glass patio doors. And he says, well, and he turned and pulled back the drape a little bit, glanced at the door and looked back at us and said, well, there's this. He steps inside and pulls the cord to draw open the drapes. And as he does so, it reveals that the sliding glass doors were covered from floor to ceiling with tiny handprints. I would say if you were to divide up those patio doors, you know, into six inch squares, there was at least one handprint in every single square, all the way from the floor to the ceiling. Uh, Closer examination revealed that they were on both the inside and the outside of the glass. They were sort of an oily substance, almost as if you had like say some cooking oil in your hand and blotted it off, but didn't completely dry it and then pressed it on the glass. Uh, that would be the effect that you would get. Um, I should add here that neither Dee nor any of his roommates had children, nor would it make sense to me to hang out with a seven-year-old child and lift them up and down so they can put handprints on every bit of this glass on both sides. I suppose that's a possibility. Except for the most curious part about these handprints, which is a little hard to describe because it's very visual, but if you imagine a handprint on a piece of paper in front of you, and then you would pivot that piece of paper so that say the right side of it was further away from you and the left side closer so it's sort of at a 45 degree angle to the line of your vision you would still see the whole handprint but it would be foreshortened and there would be a perspective effect on it about maybe one out of every six or seven of these handprints looked like that like it was at a 45 degree angle to the pane of the glass you can try this at home if you were to get your hand a little moist press it on say a mirror or a window if you press it flat you see a complete handprint if you were to try to press it against that surface at a 45 degree angle all you would get would be the outside edge of your hand and your pinky Uh, you could sort of compress your fingers and thumb to get those prints on the glass to sort of create that foreshortening effect but then if you look at the print you'll realize that the whole ridge that runs across the top of your palms where your fingers start is not replicated in that angled print whereas the angled prints on this window were complete hand prints but twisted and compressed not quite on the same plane as the glass i've told this story a lot of times and uh, i've heard a lot of interesting theories in terms of interdimensionality where and how quote-unquote ghosts might interface with our dimension but i thought it was a an interesting moment and the the angled handprints i feel like were the the sort of detail that definitely pushed this case past my walls of skepticism and into a paranormal experience all right that's my story keep up the show it's fantastic i just discovered you i'm, I'm working my way through your back catalog of episodes it's fantastic thank you thank you sir that is downright creepy You know, seeing the ghost of a little girl on a regular basis is one thing. Finding handprints on the doors, well, that's another. Discovering those handprints on the inside as well. What they call that around these parts, nightmare fuel. Now, it's difficult to imagine a scenario where something like this occurs without the aid of the supernatural. But, since Dino asked for my opinion... Here is one scenario that I could imagine that could result in the handprints ending up on the door. Now again, this is an imagined scenario that might explain how something like this could happen. Please don't send me emails on how dumb you think this theory is. Now let's say a maintenance man or the owner of the property came over to make some repairs or adjustments to the door. You might not realize this, but many sliding doors can be taken apart and each panel of glass removed separately. So let's say this worker did just that and laid the panels in the grass off to the side while he worked. Then let's say he or she brought their child along with them or perhaps a neighbor child wandered by. Now this baby is of course gonna climb all over the glass because that's what babies do. And it's a well-known fact that babies are greasy. Just hand one your phone and tell me I'm wrong. 
So the baby climbs all over the door lying on the ground, putting prints this way and that. Then the doors are reassembled, but those tiny little handprints left by said babe were not wiped away. Now this could explain the weird angles at which the handprints fell, but doesn't exactly explain how the prints would be found on both sides of the glass. Unless, of course, the worker flipped the glass panels at some point, giving this imaginary baby free reign of both sides. But hey, I admit, there's a lot that needs to align to make this happen. But I can't help but think that it is just as possible, and some might say more possible, than a ghost leaving the prince. But we always leave the door open here at Monsters Among Us. And this call reminds me of an infamous ghost story involving a singular handprint. And it begins in the town of Jim Thorpe, Pennsylvania, which is a story in and of itself. But the local coal miners decided to go on strike in the late 1870s. And not only did their walkout fail, but they were forced to return to their old jobs at a lower pay rate. Well, this didn't sit well with some of the miners and they decided to start a vigilante group of sorts known as the Molly Maguires. Well, this group was violent and these mystery men sabotaged mine equipment, burned buildings, and even kidnapped and murdered coal officials. It was almost like a bunch of Irish 19th century batmen running around. Well, officials grew tired of the Molly's antics and apprehended four men accused of being members of this infamous gang. One of these men was Alexander Campbell. Now, Campbell adamantly proclaimed his innocence throughout his stay at the Carbon County Jail. But on the day of his execution, Campbell smeared his hand in the blood, mud, and filth of the jailhouse floor, then slapped his hand against the wall of cell number 17. And out loud he proclaimed, This is the hand of an innocent man. It will remain forever to shame the county for hanging an innocent man. Now once Campbell was dead and buried, jailers attempted to scrub the wall free of his handprint. But to their shock and horror, they were unable to. After several attempts to scrub the abomination from the cell's wall, nervous guards then decided to paint over the mark completely. Well, their efforts proved futile. So they then plastered over the phantom hand. And you guessed it. It came back. Now some legends even claim that the entire wall was demolished and rebuilt from the ground up. Only to have the hand reappear a few days later. Now these days, you can still see this handprint on a tour of the Carbon County Jail in the town of Jim Thorpe. And I don't know, guys. If I'm innocent and about to be executed anyway, I'm not leaving a handprint. If I somehow have the ability to leave a curse on the town, I'm going out with a scorched earth. You know, just in case that happens. Now you guys can actually catch a glimpse of this ghostly handprint in tonight's show notes. Now Dano, if you can, find out if work had been done on the door recent to that activity. I might be onto something. And thanks again for calling in. And that's going to do it for this episode. Monsters Among Us is written and produced by me, Derek Hayes. Additional support is provided by Sarah Carter Hayes and Addie Lloyd. All audio used in this production is done so under the protection of fair use. And keep the party rolling by following us on our social media accounts at Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Do the show a huge favor and leave us a rate and review at Apple iTunes or wherever it is you get your podcast. Five stars and a few kind words go a long way to keep the episodes rolling. And lastly, the terrifying, gut-wrenching score you heard this evening. Well, that's Co.AG Music and Carl Casey and White Bat Audio. Thank you so much for tuning in. And until next week. 
The secret entry I picked out for you this evening is, as always, a weird one. So, Jared, welcome to the program. Hey, Derek. My name is Jared. This story takes place in California. I was just listening to the newest episode of Season 11, Episode 2, and I heard a story, and I had to take a break at work and call in and share my story. And I got a few stories I could share, and this one I never thought about sharing because it's kind of short. And uh, after I heard this call and what you said after the call made me want to call in. So in August of 2015 or 16, I used to go out for the meeting showers every year, and uh, I went camping in the in the Sierra Nevadas of California, and I went to this lake this lake called Lake Edison, and uh, it's high up there in the mountains. I used to go to like Shaver Lake, but this year I want to go higher because higher you go, the bigger sky you get. So, anyways, we're camping, and during the day me and my friends are out at the lake and every, everyone is swimming and I'm not really a water person. I like to chill next to the water rather than be in it because it's pretty cold. So anyways, I'm on the beach and I come across this footprint and I actually came across two footprints but they weren't next to each other but they were not too far apart. And there were two different footprints but the first one was very small. Both of them were very small. I didn't take a photo. I wish I would have. But one foot looked like it had two big toes, one on each side of the foot. I thought that was very odd. And there's only one foot, but there wasn't two. And then there wasn't multiple steps, like it was walking, you know? And both of these footprints was away from the water, like whatever it was, was walking away from the lake. That was the first footprint. The other one was a very small footprint it looked oval in shape, and in the middle at the top where the toes would be was one very long, thin line, like, I don't know, like a claw of some sort, a, a, a nail or something. And I thought it was very odd, and then I never thought anything much of it. Didn't think I could call it, call it in until I heard the goblin piece on the episode and what you said about a lot of these goblins and um, elves and whatnot, a lot of the stories being in the central forest, the Sierra Nevadas of California, and that is my neck of the woods. And when I heard that, I was like, oh man, goblins, I know they're short in height, so that kind of fits what I saw. And like you said, running bodies of water, and that's exactly what it was next to, uh, a, a lake. So I want to call that one in. This is my first time calling. I have other stories. I didn't think this would be my first call, but uh, thank you for listening. Thank you for your time. Thanks, Jared. I'll say it's a bummer that you didn't get a photo. I would have loved a chance to lay eyes on these tracks. But given the location, it could have been any number of critters. But I do find it curious that these tracks that Jared found just happened to check several boxes for those forest folk, those gnome things we keep hearing about. Like Jared said, they were found by water. In the state of California, a state filled with these reports. In the middle of nowhere, where these reports typically take place. And as Jared said, the size of the tracks made him think that immediately. So I don't know. Certainly something worth mentioning. And thanks, Jared, for sharing the entry. And thank you for sticking around for the end of the program. Have a good night.